0: Paramed and Proven Investments Limited. Hello, friends and listeners. Welcome to Impacting Jamaica. My name is Shelley Ann Harris. Today, we are talking diabetes with expert Professor Errol Morrison. Professor Morrison, welcome to Impacting Jamaica.
1: Thank you, Shellyann.
0: All right, so November 14 is World Diabetes Day, and we are delighted to have an important conversation that can help us to wise up when it comes to this disease. So my first question to you is, why so much Jamaicans have diabetes?
1: That's an interesting question, you know, Shelly, which has not been you know, scientifically answered, but we have a number of ideas. Because when you look at our ancestors in West Africa, you see less than 5% of, the population with diabetes,
0: mm-hmm.
1: when you look at the Caribbean black population, you're seeing nearly 15% of diabetes in the adult population. And when you look at the black population in the southern states of the USA, it's only about 10%. So from five in West Africa, 10 in the lower parts of the USA to 15 in the Caribbean, what makes us so special? And the possibility is with the transatlantic movement of our people, you know, there was more intermarriage, so to speak, which would increase the possibility of this, you know, hereditary transmission of diabetes. Also, the change in cultural norms Creates that kind of stress factor that can cause the body to develop diabetes because stress in the body is interpreted in a number of chemical reactions going on. One hormone attacking and preventing the real one that we're talking about in diabetes, insulin, from mm-hmm. working properly. So, you know, and 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 also the kind of 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 obesity that we tend to have, as you you would have heard, there's increasing obesity in the Caribbean. Nearly 60% of our people are already overweight. And especially obesity that carries the middle section, what you would call the belly fat. Those are again associated with higher levels of diabetes. So to put it in a nutshell, whilst we don't know the actual cause, there are a number of 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 uh, situations that are associated and could be contributing to the higher numbers of diabetes in the Caribbean and Jamaica in particular.
0: That's an interesting historical point of view and you know a, a social point of view to to look at it from. Um, I wonder about you know if it's climate. <laughs> Because you talked about West West Africa, but then it's a similar climate, isn't it?
1: Exactly, exactly. I, so, yeah. Yeah. so
0: I wonder what what is it? It for me, from my layman's yeah. point of view, yeah. I wonder if it's that, if it's as simple as what we. Eat. Well, that could
1: contribute, and there's also a little hypothesis. You know, it's a thought, nothing proved, but. You know, the fact that, you know, a lot of our ancestors crossing the the Atlantic in the slave trade, Mm -hmm. you know, were subject to so much deprivation. Those that survived had certain, uh, what you would say, genes that preserved them, would retain the salt and water and sugar and Mm -hmm. allow them to survive. Now, you know, this has been handed down to these generations that don't have that kind of deprivation, but instead these hormones, if they, these genes, if they continue to secure and to save, you know, the water and sugars and salts, that could now turn around and be causing more diabetes in in, in our population. It's called a thrifty gene hypothesis, but it's just conjecture, nothing more to it. And as you say, maybe our dad, you know, when they did work in Trinidad, The Indians had a lot more diabetes than anybody else, and it was related to drinking alcohol on the sugar estates that could could, could have contributed to some of our diabetes here in Jamaica. So a number, but we don't know the real cause. eh? We can only give you associations.
0: Yes, and I appreciate that. And from, you know, they have done various conversations around mental health and trauma and yes. Just from the conjecture that you're you're raising just now, it would appear that you can have bio, um trauma in the biology passing down, not oh, just yes. in your mind, but how your, your oh, body yes. has changed. And that, that's a little exciting and frightening yes. at the same time.
1: This, this this what you would call environmental influence of your genetic makeup. It's strong, you know, right. and oh. it can you know continue down the ages. You can alter the gene, so to speak, as a result of the environment. Mm -hmm. And then you pass that on, you know. So that, too, is another interesting concept that we have learned more so in the latter few decades, because Mm -hmm. we thought before, once you had the gene, it wouldn't change uh, unless there was some natural, what you would call, uh, error or damage within the gene. But just the environmental influence how you eat, drink, sleep and so on can affect the genetic makeup and that in turn is handed down.
0: You know, my my religious hat wants to come on when you talk about stuff like generational curse. I mean, there's so many theories. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many theories, but I'm listening to you and I'm going, my choices in terms of what I eat and what I experience Yes. Can affect what my children and my children's children have to grapple with. But that's a whole separate conversation that there is so <laughs> but I'm fascinated by, by that particular yes. theory that you're sharing. But yes. that is his own conversation. Let's focus now still on diabetes. Perfect. So we have a problem in the Caribbean, 15% you referenced. What yes. do those who have it do to control it? What can we do?
1: Well, the, the most important aspect of diabetes, amongst a major number, over 90% of diabetics, have what you would call the so-called type 2 or the adult type of diabetes, and quite often it sets in related to overweight. So straight off, you would then say, if we can reduce weight, we can reduce the the, the the manifestation of the con of the condition and will also help to control it. So the lifestyle is key because despite all you hear about these miracle weight losing, you know, medications, and that's all a lot of hype. Because to lose weight, you have to use more of the energy than your body is taking in. And as a result, you have to eat less and exercise more. That is the fundamental. Any other quick fix, Shellyan, within a matter of a year or two, you're back to square one. Mm-hmm. So it's the lifestyle, how you eat and how you you, you you know remain active. That is key. And when I say active, you know, I i am careful about that because I don't want your listeners to go thinking they have to rush and join a gym and so on. No, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. Just physically active, walking to the bus stop or walking to work, walking up the stairs instead of taking the lift. And for those who may be even housebound, I say, look, even walking around your bed, you know, just a good, you know, half an hour or so daily is enough to utilize much of the, 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 the energy that you take in. And that is the other side of the coin, because how much you take in is important. And what we're trying to do is to get our people to understand they need to control the portions that they eat. This whole belly full thing that we have, you know, is a no-no, because you're going to overload the system. And if you overload the system and you can't work it off, with the exercises that you do, then it's going to be laid down as fat and that is going to eventually lead on to problems associated with diabetes and so on. So we need to watch that. And another big thing is in terms of the cultural approach to this eating, I just wanted to make sure, apart from the overeating in terms of quantities of each each meal, that evening meal that we call dinner, Mm. okay? we tend to have the, what you call the big sitting with the, with the rice and the yam and the potatoes and the dumplings and all of these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And we need to get away, and especially late in the evening, we come home and by about seven, eight, many of us are having dinner. We need to stop that. And we need to reduce that late night eating, because that helps to contribute to accumulation of fats and sugars, et cetera, in the blood, because you're not going to work it off. You're going to bed soon. Mm -hmm. So as a result, those things will accumulate and deposit in the body as fat. So that late night eating, cutting down the starches, especially in the evening, and reducing the portions throughout the day in terms of what you eat, combined with, combined with, very important, combined with the physical activity, the exercise that you do. One alone won't do it, the exercise, or eating alone won't do it. It's the combination. To take in less and to work off more. That is the approach in weight loss, which is the way in which you're going to manage your diabetes. Any of the other things that you will hear us talking about, drugs, drugs and so on, are only a support to that lifestyle management. Of course, you have the other kind of diabetes where the individual's ability to produce insulin is totally knocked out, the so-called type 1. Now, that's a different kettle of fish because the eating and the exercise, while it's it's good to help to control the the, the sugar levels and so on. But really and truly, the fact that that type 1 individual cannot now produce insulin, we need to give it to them. And insulin, as you know, is an injection. You can't swallow it because the body juices will just destroy it. So that is the other type of diabetes where the management regime, the exercise, eating, important, yes, but key, you have to replace the insulin that the body isn't producing, as opposed to the one we started off with, with the majority of people being overweight. And if they're able to control that weight, bring it down. Did you know? That based on some Caribbean uh, food and nutrition studies back in the 80s and so on, it was recognized that the average Caribbean woman who is five foot tall should weigh no more than about 100 pounds.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: And for every inch above that, you can add five inches. So, for example, a five foot, say five foot three, which is an average common height of of a woman. She, she should be weighing no more than about one hundred and fifteen pounds, you know. And to allow a certain, you know, what you call a Caribbean, we like to see a certain amount of fullness of body. Yes. You can allow a little percentage on that. So you might say even up to one hundred and twenty-five, even thirty to stretch it. And we and I, many of our listeners here know at five foot three. I can tell you they are in the one fifties and so on. You know, and that is the kind of problem we're having in, 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 in the country. For the average Jamaican or Caribbean man at five foot he should be weighing no more than 106 pounds, and for every inch above that, you can add, you know six pounds. And you see that again, even in our meals, the overweight problem is, is there. So this lifestyle is key: eating, but pro. physical activity okay <laughs> but
0: aren't you when you talk about caribbean women and you know my my grandmother would talk about or my mother would talk about big bone and <laughs> that
1: is you, what they always tell so, you
0: Big I mean, breed. how, how are you going to squeeze the, the big bone into 115 pounds i am just uh, i'm just that re- is
1: so I'm, rare I'm, what I'm you, call <laughs> it, you know the big they say the big breed or yes, big right now. don't That's you? Isn't there room for real. that? Less than maybe one, two percent of the overweight people have this kind of uh big structure that will lead to the heavier, mm-hmm. heavier, heavier individual. Mm-hmm. Most of it is due to the improper eating, as we have been tackling just now, and the inadequate physical activity. And of course, more and more with us being sedentary, we're all watching TV or looking at the computer, snacking whilst we're doing that. So we're Mm -hmm. sedentary and eating all of these, what you call energy dense. A lot of, you know, these fast foods, oily and sugary, you know, these all tend to give you a whole lot of energy, which you're not going to be working off because you're sitting down and you're watching the whether the TV or the computer screen or what have you. And that helps to contribute to the weight gain that we see. So the whole lifestyle thing we have to make a Serious frustrating, you Mm -hmm. know, to get people moving. And I was so pleased to hear the prime minister say recently he's going to encourage the development of green spaces in every parish. So people will be able to go and walk. Even if you don't want to walk at home, you can go and, you know, do a little recreational walk. This is key. And that's just one, one part of the equation. The other part has to be the eating pattern and that late night eating is key
0: excellent points there and it's it's pretty encouraging to know that it's not necessarily the miracle drug that somebody's going to come up with you're pointing to the combination of diet and yes. lifestyle exercise yes. and that really is, is squarely in the court of the individual to to change yeah. how you live you and, know, and that she- is encouraging
1: And Shellyan, quickly! I you will notice I avoided the use of the word diet because I didn't want individuals listening to think that there is any diabetic diet. Right, there's no such thing. You eat like the family, but the portions, you know, smaller. Spread them out. Smaller portions during the day Mm -hmm. and avoid that holy pistach and oils and so on late in the evening.
0: So then, give us then, give my listeners, what does a good plate look like? A
1: good plate, yes. What you'd call a balanced plate, you know, during the day. Mm-hmm. You know, your starches, maybe your rice or your yams, potatoes, bananas, or cooked bananas, etc. Your vegetables, you know, and mm-hmm. your 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 meat kind of whatever fish, fowl, you know, meat, whatever. You know, that kind of mixes are a balancing. You have you know, peas and beans and all of those. But from each of those main main constituents, right? They, they mm-hmm. the starches. The protein, which is in the meat kind, and your vegetable. I like to insist on a heavy vegetable component in the evening, and less so during the day. That is a, you know, source which I've been using in terms of guiding individuals to avoid that late night heavy meal. You know what you call the cooked food mm-hmm, <laughs> dinner, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> you know, and and, and so I, I I have been emphasizing the use of. You know, what what, what we call a, a vegetable salad, peas and beans, that mm-hmm. kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, in the evening, you know, but during the daytime, breakfast, lunchtime, you mix and match as you, as it so pleases you, as long as they, 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 they the
0: Size, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That so, is
1: a general rule of thumb. And you know, going around trying to do some of the most sophisticated and difficult approaches, what you call the counting carbs, and they'll tell you, mm-hmm. this has 200 calories and so. That is totally, you know, unnecessary. And it, it creates an even greater well, challenge in the minds of the individual that like they I find the, the maintenance of their approach to their condition difficult. No, no, no. We remove all of that, you know. And, you know, we just t- give them that guide. Small portions during the day avoid the the, the heavy foods in the evening and get up and walk
0: (laughs) sounds easy enough but before i move on to my next question just to clarify for for our listeners what is late night because people's lives have changed so much in terms of their schedule so sometimes the eating starts at 12 and as in midday 12 and, well, you know, they try to squeeze in all the meals up to a certain point. So in your estimation, what is it when you, you say late night, what are you talking about? You,
1: you hit it on the button, you know, because I quite often have to clarify that. And it's the meal before bedtime, whether bedtime is in the midday, those who might have late, you know, work, flex day working hours and. You know, maybe going to bed in the, what we call the daytime and others going to bed in the nighttime and so on. So I, 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 I usually clarify that to point out, dinner or is, is, is best defined as that meal before bedtime. Okay? And that meal before bedtime should have minimal starch and heavy food content. More of a vegetable salad type of, of, of approach
0: and that meal before bedtime is say about an all before whatever your bedtime is
1: whatever Yeah, yeah
0: okay and now a word from our sponsors grace has been part of some special
1: moments over the years helping to make them well more memorable even when they're a little bit unexpected and with 100 years of great taste behind us You can be sure we'll be making even more moments for a hundred years to come.
0: Grace, taste that moves you. see what we do. Jan, Jan, manua ya in there. Muwa no way to come back. Pinky, this time akisha kisha just like
1: me tell pinky give jps your number and then we'll send your text with them things here, so you can't stop knock my door what you mean dmr call jps and tell them to you add your phone number to your account and you will know everything all the time
0: you never ask. send your current contact information and always be in the know visit jpsgo.com for more info welcome back to our podcast Let's, let's move on then to talk to those listeners who don't have diabetes and we want to encourage them to, to stay healthy, to not to get diabetes. Is the solution the same thing that you're saying? Lifestyle, a combination of things?
1: Every time. Every time. You know, to try and achieve the ideal weight for your height. Mm-hmm. And that can easily be worked out. There's a little scale that, you know, the health team, you know, has where they can give you the ideal weight for your for your height and guide you to retain that kind of approach Mm -hmm. even that is not it's not a hundred percent foolproof but it's a good guide for you to you know avoid getting this overweight problem that is you know affecting over 60 percent of our population seriously seriously
0: interesting Um, and i keep being encouraged by what you're saying that we can make the changes personally It's stuff we can do. It's not necessarily magic (laughs) or or rocket science.
1: One of the things I I I often have to point out too, you know, people like when you tell them avoid the oils and the starches, and they say, "But can I have nuts in the evening?" I said, "But nuts are full of oil, you know, (laughs) so you need to think Ah. of that." You see, and you know, you say, you know, vegetables. I say, "Can I have juices and fruits and so on?" And I discourage you know fruits in the evening because fruit there's fruits have a sugar that is not controlled by the body's system where you hear of this insulin and so on the, the fruit sugar which is called fructose goes straight into the system and will help to, to make fat in your liver and around your pancreas all the internal organs in the abdomen again you know, it's best in the mornings, lunchtime. But evening, stay rigid, vegetable salad. That's the kind of, you know, what you would call working, working uh rule. Mm. A little variation here, you know, you'll always get that. But if you stick to that kind of understanding, I think you're on the right track.
0: Thank you for that. I normally have a bit of roasted almonds in the evening thinking yeah this is great but it's oils is what you're yes, saying yes
1: a lot of oil so yes,
0: I yes, am yes. currently making my own notes again <laughs> as we proceed but let me <laughs> yeah. go into some real life stories now uh you've yeah. been in this field for so long um we look to you for guidance on it can you share two stories with us um you know perhaps of someone who could have made some changes but didn't um, that that's probably, perhaps a, a more sobering type story, and also someone you know who was diagnosed with diabetes and made the changes that you you um are are recommending, and is living well, you know. Ah, so I, it's really a story that can help listeners to make the right choices. That's that
1: exactly. first one, you see, they were you know someone who has not really followed guidance and not done well. It pains me so much when I think of, I cannot forget. A number of cases, but this one in particular, a 13-year-old young young lady mm. came with her mother and I started managing her. She was diagnosed with diabetes and at that age, quite often, they require insulin injections. Mm-hmm. Of course, the little miss was horrified that she had to be taking injections and she had to be watching what she was eating and you know, control her physical activity in relation to her to her eating and so on. And I don't think she really accepted that she was diabetic at all. Mm. And she didn't, you know, comply with the advice which we gave. About, I saw her for the better part of a year at regular intervals, and then she dropped out from, from you know, follow-up. And about... Six, seven years later, she appeared in the clinic at the Diabetes Association. I could hardly recognize her. But when she said her name and I looked again, I said, oh. she was now losing her sight.
0: Oh, my God.
1: She was actually coming to the Diabetes Association because the doctor had referred her because she needed to be assessed for going on the kidney dialysis machine because her kidneys were now failing. I'm just now 19 years old, you know, right? That is the sort of thing. I was so, you know, taken aback and depressed, actually, at what I saw happening in under a decade, literally. Quite often it may take you 15, 20 years or more to get some of these complications, but here it is, a life within a short span
0: you and know, such a young was
1: exactly. You know, losing her sight. You know, kidney failure and a number of other problems. You know, swellings. She can't control her her, her bowel habits and so. On. Oh, it was it was it was really pathetic. That upset me so much. And you know the little miss. Now she was five six years. You know, on you know, and she said, you know, doc. I didn't realize this thing was so serious. I said, "Must we told you? We 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 gave you all of the literature. We explained to mom, but no, that that denial, eh? That denial is a key, and I, 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 one of the best ways of trying to overcome that is to get the family and friends and peer groups, you board. know, to surround them yeah. and to be supportive. You know, especially these young people. You know, life is." They don't understand or think of the complications that can occur. I mean, like they're young, they want to play, they want to frolic, they want to eat, and all these other things. So in the young who develop diabetes, it is a very challenging story. But let me turn to a brighter note. This young executive, say, in his early 30s, I remember he came to me thin as a stick, You know, and he said, boy, I just can't cope. I get tired very easily. I can't concentrate at work. I have to travel for my my job. And, you know, I'm always afraid to do that because I even get worse when I'm abroad. And when we checked out, the sugars were extraordinarily high. And there's a kind of test that we do that can give us an idea of what your sugars have been over the last three months or so. And that was... What we say, what I like to say, celestial. It was so high, we couldn't even measure it. And so I realized that this young man was so poorly controlled that his quality of life was sinking, and it was going to threaten his job, his family, everything. We put him on insulin. And Shelly, I can tell you, he came back in two weeks, And he had already put on five pounds. He came back another three months later, and he had put on 15 pounds. And in my usual vernacular, I said to him, now your favor, (laughs) (laughs) Smuddy. The young man said, Doc, I feel good. I can function at work. I travel. I'm just coming back from Trinidad, you know, and I feel great. The fellow's face has filled out. He could see his musculature. And he was now confident. And, you know, his wife came with him. this time. And she was all smiles and all of that. Nice. And it was the, the understanding of the need to control his lifestyle, take his medications as prescribed. And lo and behold, this was one real success. story. And we see a lot of these. In fact, a lot of patients with diabetes, you know, who have been resisting what they call the needle. They don't want the injections. They're afraid of the injections. They can't mm-hmm. give themselves the injections. So mm-hmm. When we manage to convince them and put them on insulin, the quality of life that they now enjoy, they say, but doc, I've vexed with you. Why you never put me on insulin a in long time?
0: <laughs> but you know, there, there, I think there is a, a thinking that there's some kind of Side effect to the insulin based on the people I know or I've heard them talk about. Is there such a thing in terms well, of side effects from the insulin? insulin?
1: Insulin is what you would call a tremendous growth hormone, you know. It makes you grow in muscle. It makes you grow in fat. And it helps you, of course, to control and give you all of that nutrition. So one of the side effects of insulin therapy if it is not properly monitored and adjusted, you can gain weight. And if you gain weight, it will aggravate your diabetes and you get into a vicious cycle. You're gaining the weight or the diabetes gets worse, more insulin and so on, and you get that problem. The other thing about insulin therapy, it is a very powerful you know, substance. It's called a hormone and it lowers the blood sugar dramatically and if it is taken improperly without adequate eating intake of meals and drink and so on it will push your sugars very low and as a result of that you can go into low sugar coma and it will kill in minutes so it is not something to be taken lightly
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: the discipline that must be exercised when you're using insulin therapy. We can't overemphasize that. Mm-hmm. So insulin, YSH is a miracle drug, you know, developed in the 1920s. You know. It has saved lives, improved quality of lives all around. But it is, it can be dangerous if not properly administered. Right. So that is one of the, that is one the, or the big two, you know, uh, problems. With giving this insulin, so one way again, the support of family and friends is always very useful for them to say, "You took the insulin, did you eat that sort of thing?" You know, oh, uh, that 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 can certainly help. Also, sometimes where you give the insulin, you know, if you use the same site all the time, you may get a little fat or you know the, the skin gets a little broken, but that's minor because we ad, we 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 advise you know that they rotate the sites at which they give the injection. Mm -hmm. And these days, the little needle that is being used is a far cry from what was being used, you know, two decades ago.
0: Yes, it's a technology The needle
1: nowadays is as small as a mosquito's, you know, uh, and uh, and it it, it is literally, um, you know, without without any feeling many a time when you administer the doc say you, the patient will say you finish already doc i say yes <laughs> <laughs> so so you know again the, the fear factor in the mind and the needle you Now when we show them this tiny thing that they can hardly even see mm-hmm. it helps to improve their you know agreement to go on. because again going on insulin any therapy it's a negotiation, you know, because we want the, the, the person with diabetes to understand that this is going to help, but it's going to help if you do X, Y, Z. So we need to agree that you're going to do and follow the, the advice that we give, and, and, you know, keep in close touch so that we can adjust as necessary.
0: Excellent. Um, we are a little bit out. We have a few minutes left. So yeah. I just want to ask a final question about those who are diagnosed as pre-diabetic, what can those persons do? First of all, what does that mean? And then what can those persons do to avoid um, coming into diabetes?
1: You know, the absolutely most accurate way to diagnose diabetes is by a blood test. And, you know, even, and most reliable is what you call a fasting, not having eaten for at least, you know, six hours, eight hours, you know, um, before. And that value that is obtained if it is elevated above a certain accepted level is how you diagnose diabetes. And if you eat or drink, you know, from your fasting sugar level, you know, within two hours, you'll find that after you eat, the sugar will rise, of course, because you're absorbing it. But within two hours, it should come back to what you would call the near fasting level. All right. Now, those persons who may have a normal fasting, yet after they eat or drink, their sugars have not come right down into the level that we expected near to the fasting. Those may be diagnosed as pre-diabetic because they, they are not absolutely out of line, especially the fasting level. But they haven't come back to the expected range after they have eaten or drunken. You know, right. And as a result of that, we said, no, you need to watch it because you're not handling your food stuff you know, well, but you're not really in the realm based on the, 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 the numbers that we're seeing there. We're not in the realm where we'd say you're diabetic, so you need to watch it. Keep your weight down, again, with the kind of juggling that we've been discussing earlier in the lifestyle, and give a check every six months or so. And there's a possibility, you know, at later on down the year, you repeat the test and it looks perfectly normal now. Okay. There are another set who, when you repeat the test, they're now frankly diabetic. And yet there's a third group that you repeat the test and they stay the same way. This, you know, not quite diabetic, but not normalized. So this pre diabetes, as we're trying to describe, is, you know, you would say like a halfway house, but there is no comfort. Because those people who have that kind of picture also want to develop blood vessel disease. So there is no safe or wiggle room. Once there is any suspect to improper levels of sugars and fats and so on, mm-hmm. you have to be very careful about that lifestyle and to watch it very, very importantly.
0: That also gives us hope because you know the testing and the different categories that you fall in can affect the choices that you make from before it becomes diabetes. And so I, I'm looking for the hope and the empowerment and I'm finding it, which is And Shelyan,
1: these days, it's not like the years ago when you had to do a, a blood test and wait for a week yeah. to get result from the lab. You now it's a little finger prick and you get the result within a minute. Yeah. And there are even more sophisticated uh, techniques now that you don't even have to fix. The finger, you know, just touching it on this on, on the skin and the what you'd call the sweat or the, the fluids that come through the skin will react on these sensors as we speak and it can give you, you know, a value. So, again, all of this, you know, puncturing with, 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 with lancets and so on, all that is going out the window.
0: Mm-hmm. And so,
1: it's going to be very easy to be able to monitor your blood sugar levels and so follow you know, your progress over the years.
0: So we could talk a lot more about diet, well, about portion sizes and choices and so on. And you let just step away from the word diet. We can talk a lot more about, um, you know, late night eating and, you know, exercise and so on. But that maybe we need to do a part two. But for November 14 coming up, World Diabetes Day, what is your parting word to Jamaicans listening? The
1: theme is education for improved care and that is what it is all about. Understanding what this diabetes is doing to your body, understanding what you can do to reduce the problem. Simply, you don't have to get into any great science. It's just a simple understanding of how you adjust your lifestyle to help to keep your weight right and as a result those who may have it, how to monitor it and manage it, and those who do not have it to protect themselves against getting it. The most important being what you wait. And the other aspect that we need to be, 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 be careful about is the fact that with the increasing overweight in the society, the increase in diabetes runs side by side with it, not necessarily causing it but run side by side. And as the knowledge improves, we're going to understand more and more what is happening in the development of diabetes. But right now, simply eat less and walk more. That is the key to protecting yourself against this particular non-communicable disease, which we call the NCD or diabetes.
0: Professor Morrison, thank you so much for all the work that you do in this particular field. And thank you for being such a light for us on Impacting Jamaica. Thank you for being with us. It was a pleasure, Shelley, anytime. Impacting Jamaica is powered by the Philip and Christine Gore Family Foundation, Manpower and Maintenance Services Limited, the Jamaica Public Service Company, Red Stripe, KyraMed and Proven Investments Limited,